Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. So... Turn up your Walkman, loosen that scrunchie, and get ready to talk 80s with your host, Lindsay Parker. Hi, I'm Lindsay Parker from Yahoo Entertainment and Sirius XM Volume, and this is Totally 80s. But before we start, just a reminder to follow us on Totally 80s on Facebook and Instagram. Please make sure also to bookmark wearetotally80s.com for tons of news stories and content about our favorite decade. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to give us a rating and review. We will love you for it. And that alone is incentive to do it. And speaking of love, I'm here with my partner in crime. The other John Hughes. Hi. Not that John Hughes. Not that one. But the other really 80s expert John Hughes. Yes. Uh, thanks. I like that title. I, I wish I was the other John Hughes, but alive. Order some new business cards. Right. Okay. Done. <laughs> so we're about to talk about a subject that's near and dear to my heart. I do think um, it, it's safe to say I'm maybe more of a hair metal fan than you. Is that I, safe? I'm a drive-by. You're a drive-by. I'm now. a drive-by. Driving Casual, down the Sunset Strip. The Rainbow Room, stopping in, having... A drink. A drink. That's a not drink. very Lemmy of you. No. <laughs> uh, you know what they call the Lemmy drink there? Jack and Coke is called the Lemmy. Oh, They wow. named it there at the Rainbow. The Rainbow is my happy place. So I'm I'm a fan of the Lemmy. That's actually my drink. So to backtrack for a minute, maybe why this subject may be a little more near and dear to my tattooed heart is because I grew up in Los Angeles. Mm. Grew up in the San Fernando Valley, which is not quite the same as growing up in LA or Hollywood, but I was Hollywood adjacent. I was close enough to know to realize that these bands that were seen on MTV at the time, Motley Crue, Poison, a lot of them came from L.A. And that basically for a few years in the 80s, L.A. was the hub of music, really popular music. Not, everything on MTV was this. Yep. Guns and Roses. I mean, you, their first video is Axel getting off the bus mm-hmm. down the strip, right? Mm-hmm. It kind of epitomized the idea that you come to Hollywood. There was always this sort of subtext to a lot of the songs, particularly Guns and Roses songs, that you come to Hollywood and mm-hmm. it like chews you up and spits you out. But there were happier songs, like the Poison songs. There was a lot of party right. music. It was not an era that could last forever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the mythology that isn't entirely. Untrue is that, you know, uh, Hollywood got knocked off the musical map by Seattle, you know, that like grunge came in and rendered all these hair. killed hair metal. Yeah, rendered Mm -hmm. all these hair bands obsolete. But I do think that this genre gets unfairly maligned. And I don't think this is just like local hometown pride because today we are going to talk about bands that aren't just from L.A. L.A. was sort of ground zero for hair metal, but there were also bands like Cinderella and Bon Mm -hmm. Jovi and uh, Kicks and Enough's Enough that came from other places. However, this is a thing that's weird to me now. Like I was saying, I think that hair metal gets unfairly maligned. And yes, some of it has not aged well. The videos 
are kind of ridiculous. <laughs> Although I do sometimes like to go on YouTube and watch Warren's Cherry Pie, directed uh, by Jeff Stein. Oh my God, really? He, Jeff Stein directed Cherry wow. Pie. And to put it in perspective, Jeff Stein directed Don't Come Around Here No More mm-hmm. uh, by Tom Petty. And he also directed You Might Think by The Cars. He was a video visionary, but he directed Cherry Pie. But some of these videos have not aged well. Definitely some of the hairstyles haven't aged well. And as a woman, I have to say a lot of the lyrics haven't aged well. You know, The like, imagery, I mean, how many hosing downs can you see? <laughs> It was consensual, <laughs> I guess. It was a consensual hosing. Right. But yeah, a piece of cherry pie like falls into her lap. There's no subtlety. There was no subtlety. Right. There were no levels of nuance to right. hair metal. And, you know, there were lyrics like, um, I believe the It's So Easy line that Duff McKagan wrote for, uh, you know, turn around, bitch, I got a use for you was, mm-hmm. you know, I get it that it was sort of done tongue in cheek, but it wasn't, you know. No pun intended, but like it just doesn't age well. <laughs> right. The I Want Action song by Poison basically says, if I can't have her, I'll take her and make her. Oh In my. the verse, it says, like, I'm going to cruise by and look at all the schoolgirls hanging around. <laughs> as a woman, even when I was in that scene, you know, as a young girl, whether I was observing it from afar or getting mm-hmm. rides over to the Sunset Strip to hang out in front of the rainbow because I was too young to get in. Mm-hmm. There was a part of me that had... Then I knew this, that felt a little bit uncomfortable in the scene. It seemed like there were only like three roles you could play in hair metal in the 80s. You could either be the stripper girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I mean, not literally, who's funding the career of her loser right. drummer boyfriend in an unsigned band, hoping they'll be the next Bang Tango. There was that. You could be a groupie mm-hmm. or you could be in Vixen. Right. That was it. Yeah, exactly. Three choices. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of those women were happy to fulfill those roles, but there wasn't a lot of room in the scene for women. It wasn't a friendly scene. Right. So people might hear me say all this and go like, well, why do I have so much fondness for this? Is it just nostalgia? Is it just the fact that, um, you know, it was, a, you know, I love the 80s or I'm from L.A.? No, it was more than that. I do think a lot of these songs, if you take away the lyrics mm-hmm. or maybe not take away, but if you assess the lyrics in the context of the time and realize it was a different time, if you uh, take away the context of what these bands look like or how ridiculous and overblown their videos were, these are really good songs. The entire first Poison record kicks ass. Right. It's a scrappy, almost punk record. The first Motley Crue record. Yep. Beyond reproach. It's great. And also I would say out of the cellar by rat. Well, round and round yep. is definitely one of probably the best songs of that era. Yeah. And per- pretty much perfectly written. So I mean, like Lou Barlow has covered that song. Right. Right. Back for More is a great tune, too. Uh, you know, the, and stuff that you didn't mention that, I, you know, maybe on the more melodic side, but they got tagged with a hair metal tag, like Enough's Enough. I was going to bring up yeah. Enough's Enough. They were pretty much a power pop band. They were like a band like uh, Cheap Trick, really. Yeah, power pop and drag. It's all it was. Lots of Aquanet, <laughs> uh, some eyeliner, you know, it, if that it could be a Fountains of Wayne song later. I mean, they really could. Enough's Enough could be like on a Yellow Pills compilation. For sure. Like Fly High Michelle. thing about them is, yeah, some of these bands, because they bandwagon jumped because what mm-hmm. was popular was having that look. Right. 
that became, I mean, we're calling it hair metal because of hair. Right. Not it, anything else. Enough's Enough and Cinderella don't sound like the same band at all. Def Leppard, they probably bristle at being called hair metal. I'm sure because, they do. Yeah, because they thought they were, again, a glam band. And I'm sure Guns N' Roses uh, definitely bristle at And they were right. a band. I would say Def Leppard and Guns N' Roses were two bands. Mm-hmm. And maybe even Motley could do a slight degree right. that rose above that tag. Mm-hmm. Um, I will tell you, though, as someone who was in it at the time, there was... Within the genre itself, which again maybe shouldn't be called hair metal, because mm-hmm. if you're kind of if you're grouping artists together based solely on hair, it's like. Mm-hmm. Although I would say <laughs> even like the seventies glam thing, all those bands yeah. sound different. The glam thing right. more was about what they look like than right. anything else. It was but, in punk, not so, all punk bands. But what like. I'm trying to say is, even within the genre of hair metal or whatever else you want to call it, there were lines drawn in the sand. They may have been faint lines that sometimes got blurred. Mm-hmm. Among the fandom about which of those bands were cool. Oh, yeah. There was a pecking order. There was definitely a pecking mm-hmm. order. And it tended to... Enough's Enough was actually a band most people liked because they had that cheap trick right. power pop vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, it seemed like... And they were very colorful, very pastel, mm-hmm. very Lisa Frank and how they looked. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I would say that in general, these lines of what was cool and what was not had a lot to do with the bands on the cool side mm-hmm. were the scrappy bands that tended to dye their hair black yep. and wear a lot of black leather. LA Guns. LA Guns were definitely on the cool side mm-hmm. and I'm going to talk about them in a minute. The ones that looked a little more pink spandex and blonde. Poison. Poison. Although I will defend Poison's first album mm-hmm. to my grave. Mm-hmm. Warrant. Mm-hmm. Never actually really liked them and I mean no disrespect to Janie Lane but I did not right. like them. Uh, but bands, Pretty Boy Floyd mm-hmm. and a lot of Poison knockoff bands, they were on the uncool side. Right. This is why people like Guns N' Roses. They were grittier. So there were definitely the lines that were drawn. But here in general, before I get into talking about specific bands, here's my soapbox about why I don't understand why these bands, because there's other bands from the 80s that had ridiculous fashion. There's <laughs> other bands from the 80s that had ridiculous hair. There's other bands from the 80s who had videos that we watch now 30, 35 years later that have not aged well. There's bands that have lyrics that haven't aged well. But there's something about this genre of the mm-hmm. 80s that gets more maligned than anything else. And I never understood it, especially when I was talking about the fact that when grunge came in, it was considered more credible mm-hmm. and it wiped away these fluffy bands. Explain to me, riddle me this. Why is it cooler to be a band that is slackery and can only play three chords over a band that's really putting on a big show mm-hmm. and has people like Warren Martini who are shredding really good guitar players? Player, you know, uh, not all metal bands like CeCe DeVille. I don't think anyone's going to put him a high up from Poison as right. one of the great guitars. But most of the guitars from these metal bands were considered to be great players mm-hmm. who really studied their craft and were really good. The guy from Warren Martini from Rat is definitely one of them. Slash all this. And, you know, no one can say the guys in Motley Crue can't play. Right. At Tommy Lee, amazing, great rock drummer. And and a lot of the singers, not Vince Neil so much, but a lot of the singers, really, really good singers. Sebastian Bach, mm-hmm. practically operatic back in his day. Right. So why is it that bands that had chops and were definitely putting in 100% on stage with the costuming, the performing, the pyro, the staging mm-hmm. and everything, considered less credible than bands who had at least the, the pretense that they weren't trying and could barely play. I think that makes no sense to me. It, it, the only parallel is for that DIY aesthetic of punk that wiped away progressive rock. Yes. Okay. Jethro Tull, Genesis, things like that. Grunge was that 
eraser that had it maybe it didn't but it had to come in some respects that it pretty boy floyd it got well, too they much yeah but it got too much there were so well, many pretty bands. boy floyd were basically candle box they were like right, the next yeah. the ones riding the coattails it was a xerox of a xerox it mm-hmm. starts fading and it, the quality gets a little less Speaking of Xerox yeah. of a Xerox, though, when I'm talking about the work ethic that these bands had, these right. me- I'm talking mostly specifically to the Sunset Trip bands that I could witness firsthand. Mm-hmm. There were the flyer wars going on. These bands hustled. The guys in Poison, for instance, I've talked to Brett Michaels about this in interviews. Okay, they would go to Kinko's, 24-hour Kinko's, <laughs> spend all their money from their crappy jobs selling toner at like some illegal telemarketing <laughs> boiler room. And they would like make all these flyers. The reason that Poison always had a green logo, that's called Poison Green. They used the cheapest, least popular paper at Kinko's, which was like a hideous, pukey green. Oh, how funny. Because it was the cheapest to do. Wow. Then all these bands, Poison being one of them that weren't definitely being one of them, whether you like their music or not, Mm -hmm. they hustled. They were on the strip giving out flyers, putting up posters, selling tickets at their pay-to-play shows, getting people to go to their shows. Mm -hmm. They did not wait for record labels to come to them. Poison in particular signed with a small label. I've talked to Brett about the fact that they were boxing up their own records at Enigma. Enigma, They were on Enigma initially. Mm -hmm. So like these bands, whether you like their music or not, and I understand that it's not for everyone, Mm -hmm. their work ethic and the fact that they, you know, didn't expect to get record deals unless they played a lot of gigs, paid a lot of dues and really like Mm self-marketed grassroots marketed in the days well before social media or the internet. It's something to admire. I mean, these, a band like Guns N' Roses or Poison or LA Guns got there through a lot of hard work and a lot of Mm self-belief. I think probably before that, the only band that showed that do it yourself, get out there, promote yourself and get a following before you're even signed ethic was the friggin' knack in 1979. Another band that a yeah. lot of people probably didn't think was very cool. Yeah, exactly. It's not cool to try. It's not right. cool to want, unless you're Madonna, or right. even maybe not if you're Madonna. Right. It's not cool to uh, want to be successful. Right. It's not cool to say, like, I want to be the biggest band in the world. Right. It's supposed to be like, oh, I just want to play in this van, smelly van mm-hmm. and these little and these punk clubs. And if success comes to me, that's fine. It's not cool to have those kind of yeah, stardom I, ambitions. That's I why, why people it, don't think Kiss was cool. I wonder why it is seen as less authentic. It, that's know. a really good point. because Def, Definitely none of these hard rock bands of the 80s, whether you found their music um, serious or credible or not. They were authentic in the sense that none of them were put together by in labs by Svengali's. Right. They were all people that really scrapped it out on the scene. So I want to point that out. So anyway, but again, there were different eras of cool. And I was talking about the bands that started off or the bands that were on the black leather side of it. They all descended from one band, I think. And there's an Ellie Weekly article about that. Mm-hmm. That uh, is, a, you should Google it. I think, it, I forget who did it, but it was uh, ran in 2018 in the Ellie Weekly that said all of the Sons of Strip bands owe a debt to this one band from Finland. Really? Do you not know who I'm referring I to? I don't. Hanoi Rocks. Oh, Hanoi Rocks, of course. They were from Finland. They were from Finland. It's the only Why do thing I, I know, know about that? Finland. Why do I not know that? It's the only thing I know about Finland. If I ever take wow. a vacation to Finland, I'm going to be like, where's the Hanoi Rocks Museum? Right. And then I'm going to get back on a plane. Because <laughs> I know nothing else about Finland, but Hanoi Rocks are from there. Wow. Okay. Where'd you think they were from? I thought they were, well, I, they were so 
maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's a black spot here in my knowledge. We can't all be experts in everything. Right. But I'm here to educate you for once. You. For once. I know. I'm for down. once, I have something you don't know. And I, the thing is, I love to learn. Um, they're, <laughs> Learning they're, is fundamental. Yeah, they're very influenced by New York Dolls. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought they were probably from that uh, East Coast kind of you thing. You never detected that I weird ne- accent that Michael Monroe had? I, first of all, the name Michael Monroe doesn't really speak probably not as Finnish real. to me. It speaks to me like some guy from uh, uh, Paducah. Okay. Um, so, hi, Michael Monroe. I love Hannah Rocks, and it was very interesting because I mean, I obviously they never really had any major hits here. Right. The closest they ever had was their cover of uh, "Up Around the Bend" by CCR, mm-hmm. um, and their career was cut sadly short by Vince Neil, mm-hmm. who I really honestly won't forgive. <laughs> because I mean, you know, whatever. I don't want to get gruesome or grim, but like the fact that he, that the drummer of Hannah Rocks died in the car accident that Vince Neil caused when uh, they were out. Basically, what from what I recall, Henry Rocks were going to go on tour with Molly Crew. Molly right. Crew were huge, right. and Molly Crew, like many other bands, um, I do want to point out that Guns and Roses helped get all the Henry Rocks stuff reissued, mm-hmm. and then um, Michael Monroe put out his solo album, not faking it, on Guns and Roses uh, vanity label, and then uh, Axl Rose sang on the mm-hmm. Dead Jail or Rock and Roll song. So, like all these bands owe huge debt. Any band you talk to, Poison, Guns N' Roses, Elegance, will also they loved Hanoi Rocks. Yeah. But they broke up around like 1983 because after they were supposed to go on tour with Motley Crue, would have been a huge break for them. Might have been the thing that would have turned them into a band on the commercial level of all the bands I just mentioned. But then there was a car accident. Razzle, the drummer, was in the car. He died. The band was distraught. They broke up. Mm. And that was the end of it. Wow. So they, they're kind of a cult band. Yeah. But if you were hanging out in the 80s on the Sunset Strip... Every single band there. Like if you were looking in the Recycler, do you yeah. remember the Recycler? Sure. Before Craigslist Kids, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you wanted to start a band in LA, you were like looking in the back and every single ad would be looking for a guitarist, must have long hair, must like Henry Rocks and the New York Dolls. Wow. New York Dolls and Henry Rocks. Yep. So those were the two. And they uh, and yeah, obviously Henry Rocks descended from the New York Dolls. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to claim haters that Henry Rocks invented this stuff, but they definitely introduced it and the seeds of what they were doing ended up in bands that became much bigger than they ever were. I remember them because they had some sort of uh, credibility outside of what you might call the metal scene. Because oh, they totally did. Yeah, Star Hits used to do articles about Hanoi Rocks, and, which was unusual. And Andy Mc, uh, McKay, who was in... Uh, uh, he was in the band. He started, remember that band Cherry Bombs? That yes. was like, he. Mm-hmm. that was his band. Yeah, okay. It was like okay. one of the chicks from Total right. Coelho. Yeah. And one of the guys from Lords in the New Church. And wasn't, wasn't, maybe I'm misremembering, wasn't one of them in the Neurotic Outsiders too? I don't know if that's maybe, true. Maybe I might be we'll making things up, up or Checkered Past were, or something like that. Yeah, it might have yeah. been a Checkered okay. Past thing. Okay. There was de- they were definitely a super group, but yeah. yeah, they definitely had a little bit of, kind of like Lords in the New Church, who obviously descended from yes. Steve Baders and the Dead Boys. They mm-hmm. they sort of had a, a toehold in the punk world, right? which is why I'm saying that the bands that really kind of directly descended from them were the cooler mm-hmm. ones. And you mentioned Enough's Enough, who were kind of in their own little island. Right. But I do want to talk about the ones that I thought were the cool ones. All right. So like when we were having arguments where I was like, well, well, you know, well, warrants suck, but faster pussycat are great. <laughs> There's a difference. 
Learn your facts. Are you laughing because you think they're one and the same? I am laughing because I remember how the Faster Pussycat album begins. Tell what, what the, I, I don't, don't change that song. I don't know if I can uh, uh, recreate it here, but isn't it? Uh, <clears throat> I should. I, I probably should just have Rich play it for you. Okay. <laughs> Well, that the first song on the album is "Don't Change That Song." <laughs> Maybe it's a different album, but there's the first a, one. There's an album that starts off with "Pussy, Pussy, Pussy Gear." That's not the no. That's that's the song "Babylon," which is there the last go. song on the album. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. The one that about. goes and this girl yeah. starts saying, "Aren't you that guy in Wham?" <laughs> exactly. No, that's the last song. That's okay. actually a rap rock song. It's actually yeah, a, that's what I remember. That's why I start laughing. It's not the beginning. I it's remember. The end. Okay, it's the I, final track. I remember. I know that. the track listing of the yes. first Faster Pussycat record, and that just always cracked me up. So the first Faster Pussycat record, in my opinion is one of the most perfect after mm-hmm. Appetite for Destruction is the most perfect album of that yeah. genre. It's the, perfect. The fact that I'm aware of it is a good sign. Is a really good sign because it was not my realm at all and I still heard that record. They were just so cool because kind of like Guns N' Roses they seem kind of scrappy. They seem yeah. kind of like they emerged from the gutter. Mm-hmm. They weren't polished. Tamey mm-hmm. Down had a very raspy mm-hmm. You know, uh, crackling, whiskey soaked voice. There was a bit of blues from them. There was a bit of it, it was kind of like derived from Aerosmith and also from Hanoi yeah. Rocks. And the Don't Change That Song. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. this. Obviously, you know where their name comes from. Yeah. The Don't Change That Song video, which is just a bunch of women with enormous boobs dancing in very tight Mary with Children, Christina <laughs> Applegate outfits. It was directed by Russ Meyer. Uh, well, they got um, Russ Meyer to direct oh their, first, their first music video. That's amazing. It's pretty cool, right? And they couldn't get uh, Santana to be, or uh, what's her name? <laughs> Uh, oh, Tara Santana? Yeah, they couldn't get her to be in it. I think they have someone famous from one of the movies, maybe oh, from the- how Who funny. was the one who was married to Russ Meyer? He oh, was married to one of the Russ Meyer Gosh, I couldn't actors. tell you. But I think she might be in the how video. How great. But they had like bathroom wall, which is part of a long, wonderful tradition of people finding bathroom names uh, names on a bathroom wall, like eight six seven five three zero nine. And lost art. And she's tight by Cheap Trick, of course. But I mean, just every song. The power ballad mm-hmm. is good. Babylon, the song you mentioned, which is a rap song, and they just seemed really like they had that danger and edge. There was a band, you know, you know Ricky Rockman from MTV, Headbangers Ball. Mm-hmm. Ricky Rockman used to have a club called Cat House. Mm-hmm. And he, it's a band where Guns N' Roses played very early on, but there were, it seemed like the bands that he booked for that club were the bands from this kind of subgenre. I'm right. talking about Junkyard, right. Bastard Bass Cat. We have to talk about Ellie Guns. Oh yeah. Because that first album is amazing. Yeah. I'm not saying later, a lot of these bands, like they, they burned very bright and they had like one or two good albums and it started to decline around the same time the whole genre started to decline it's in popularity. very much, uh, it seems like a very much a scene where you had all this time to develop and write your first record and then it hits and you've got six months to come up with a whole new repertoire. And it's like, whoa. Well, you have six months while this people still care about this genre. Exactly. And there were certain bands, even Def Leppard, like you mentioned, who yeah. kind of tr- with slang, yeah. who tried to get mm. on the, the grunge thing. And yeah. it's like, okay, they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. Because if right. they stick with their genre that has very almost overnight become dated sounding, mm-hmm. then 
you're not going to get on radio and people think you're passe. But if you say like, oh, we're a grunge band now. Right. You're going to lose your core fan base. They should have leaned more into, hey, we're doing T-Rex riffs where we are this and we're going to get back to that Mm -hmm. as opposed to trying to hop on an industrial or uh, whatever they were trying to hop on with slang. Uh, some of the bands did try to go industrial too. Faster yeah, Pussycat faster. actually oh. did. And I, that was regrettable, oh. but they, they burned, but the first LA Guns I, record, by the way, I just physically shuddered. You guys, I, saw, I can account for that. I can attest that he actually did. I witnessed it. The first LA Guns record. And by the way, Phil Lewis was from the band girl, mm. which had uh, a member of Def Leppard mm-hmm. in it. And he was a great singer. He is a great singer. Mm-hmm. And Tracy guns, again, going back to yeah. why is it a bad thing to be able to play your instrument? Well, he's one of the best, but that whole, the whole first record is bangers with really good titles right really good titles. okay they have a song called no mercy mm-hmm. that just sounds metal if there i said to you hey there's a song called no mercy do you want to guess what genre that's in i, I, I would say yes i would say oh of course it is <laughs> of course sex it's metal. action uh one in a long line of action songs that i'm sure we'll find in this genre shoot for thrills a long line of shoot songs that are in this genre electric gypsy that's a song about motorcycles of course <laughs> Another in a long line of songs about electricity. You look at that track list and you know you're in for a good time. Uh, that sounds like an amazing There's record. There's no filler why, on this record. Why don't I have this record on Go my on a loop right now? The whole record is real. There's no ballads on it uh-huh. that well, I can recall. Even better. I'm in. No okay. ballads, no good. power ballads, no prom song. Good. No prom song that everyone buys the album for because they like the one power ballad and then they're like, oh crap, I don't like all this sex There's action. There's no reason why you have to loan it to your older sister so she can hear that song. There's Got something, it. again, a little... Some people, when I mention hair metal and punk in the same sentence are going to bristle at that. They're going to visibly shudder like you just didn't be like, what the hell are you talking about? But I'm talking about just like the attitude. Yeah. The sort of, you know, tapping into the fact that a lot of this music, at least the bands I just mentioned, came Mm -hmm. from Hollywood. Right. And they all really hustled they had crappy day jobs they would live in a studio or not even a studio bachelor apartment on yucca yep. a street aptly named yucca <laughs> yuck uh yucca all and, together you in- know live off top ramen and mm-hmm. you know the rice rice the san francisco treat the sunset strip treat and they would just really be struggling and Hollywood was a more dangerous place than it is now. For sure. And it was all aspiring dreamers, many of whom did not grow up in LA. Most of them like Poison are from Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Some of them are at least. But, you know, they all were really struggling and surviving. And you hear that in songs. You hear the hunger. I think that's what I'm trying to say. These bands sounded hungry. Well, I think we need to take a little break here from all this Aquanet. And we will take care of some business and come back with more hair metal on Totally 80s. Prince's iconic album, 1999, is now available in super deluxe, CD, vinyl, digital download, and streaming editions. 
The Super Deluxe Edition is the deepest dive yet into Prince's vault, and it features 35 tracks that have been previously unreleased, including 24 studio recordings, a complete concert from the 1990 tour recorded at the Masonic Hall in Detroit, and the CD and vinyl sets also feature a previously unreleased DVD concert performance recorded live at the Summit in Houston. A full-color booklet features rare photos and new liner notes written by Guns N' Roses' Duff McKagan, Rolling Stone critic David Frick, Minneapolis writer and broadcaster Andrea Swenson, and Prince scholar Dwayne Tudall. The newly remastered Super Deluxe Edition of Prince's 1999 is available now wherever you get music. We're back. We're back on the strip. Let's talk some more hair metal. Now I want to talk about some bands that aren't from L.A. Those were my two. My two. Oh, and Jet Boy. Jet okay. Boy, who actually had Sam Yoffer from Hanoi Rocks play bass for them. Oh, wow. After Hanoi Rocks okay. dissolved. So there's cred for you. Right. The, the three big house bands besides Guns N' Roses, who are kind of all in a whole other category that, you know, I don't even know if I want to call Guns N' Roses hair metal. Right. But the other three cat house house bands were Jet Boy, Faster Pussycat, and L.A. Guns. But, you know. I don't want to keep it too LA centric because obviously there were a lot of bands that came. Right. So um, speaking of power ballads, mm-hmm. Skid Row, man. Yeah, uh, eighteen in life. They so they did power ballads right. Yeah. Their ballads weren't banned, power ba- sappy power ballads that you dedicated to your girlfriend on the radio and then danced to a prom. Right. 18 and Life's a gritty song. It is. And it's a it's a song about like killing it, your best friend by accident and going to jail. It's in the title. <laughs> it's, a, it's a story song. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a verdict. <laughs> it's a story song. It's almost like a country song. You remember when Sebastian Bach went on Gone Country? Of course. You do, actually? Because, you know why? Because Mickey <laughs> Dolans was also on. Mickey Dolans was on Gone Country? Uh, going Country. The, the, so were like other people like- For from t- other genres, had to learn a country song and do it. Yeah. I don't, Sebastian Bach won, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He won a song called Another Battle with the Bottle. Yeah, Mickey got pretty far. I could see him again. Yeah. He mm-hmm. comes from a sort of Laurel Canyon yep. thing. Mm-hmm. But going back to Skid Row- they had a lot of bangers. I mean, Youth Gone Wild. It's yeah. just like about as, it's almost like a parody of like a song about like, yeah, it's like, right. I want to rock by uh, Twisted Sister. <laughs> right. We're not going to take it. Like, yeah, yeah, authority sucks. Adults suck. <laughs> but they had, Sebastian Bach is probably next to Axl Rose, the best singer of this genre. Yeah. And I, pipes. Th- I don't think they, I don't think Skid Row gets enough credit because. Second album? Uh, 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 Slave. Slave to the Grind? Yeah. I had they it. Got, yeah. The thing that I like about them is they start off with an album full of power ballet hits mm-hmm. like I Remember You, 18 right. in Life. And then their second album was like really hard. It got really hard. What was the song, the first track, Mon- the first single? Monkey, Monkey Business. Monkey Business. And this was in the SoundScan era, the first yeah. album to debut at number one. Number one. one for that, that, is a, that is a stat I actually knew. I'm sure you knew yes. it. Yes. But Monkey Business, I remember, you know, again, it wasn't my thing. But I see this video on MTV and I'm like, whoa, this is this is intense. This is really good. And, you know, it's one of those things where, OK, I'm a fan now. You got me. Oh, 
they did the opposite of what most metal bands would do, which is start off harder right. and then tone it down for commercial appeal. Oh, yeah. Those they are... established their commercial appeal and then said, OK, we're going to make a practically speed metal record. Yeah. And I'm sure Atlantic, uh, their label was really sweating bullets. They didn't need to, though, because it went to number one with right, the bullet. It was the right move. And he's just I mean, Sebastian Bogg is just a, a character. Yeah. Can we do a whole podcast on the TV show Supergroup? Have you seen that? <laughs> it's the best TV show of all time. I have not seen Supergroup. Do you know Supergroup? I don't. What is that? OK. Sit back. Okay. The fact that there was only one season for this bumps me out. So Ah. it was maybe about 10, 15 years ago. The idea was a bunch of rock stars. We're going to make a super group, as Mm -hmm. as the title says. They got put in a house. Right. And they had to, like, write a couple songs and get the band together. And this was the lineup. Okay. Sebastian Bach. Yep. Jason Bonham. Okay. Scott Ian from Anthrax. Got it. And Ted Nugent. Oh, in the house. Oh. The fact that Ted Nugent did not seem like the craziest member in the house oh. of the cast, it completely, he was completely upstaged wow. in every scene by Sebastian Bach. Just shows you what a character he is. They ended up naming the band Damocracy, which is a terrible name for a band. <laughs> I think that's why they didn't have any hits. It's so bad. It's good, though. But the best scene in it, the best scene is that's not the, the name that Sebastian wanted. He okay. wanted to call the band Savage Animal. Okay. He was right. outvoted. I think that was a better name. Got Sebastian, it. if you're listening, you were you you were onto something. Yes. So it's the best scene. I'm sure it's on YouTube that he's trying to talk Ted, Jason, and Scott into calling the band Savage Animal. Mm-hmm. And he's like, How about this guy, Savage Animal? And they're like, nah. So he's like, he feels like if he just says it in different tones of voices or different levels of talk. <laughs> hope I don't blow out the microphone when I do my impression. <laughs> That they'll somehow, like, he just has to keep saying it. And they'll be like, yeah. So he's like, no, listen, man, hold on. Listen, savage animal. And they're like, no, we said no. No, wait, wait. Savage animal. Guys, you guys. It's like a 10 minute scene. And he never convinces them. But I cannot see him. I call him the savage animal. It's like, savage animal. Now we need to start a band called Savage Animal. You know, he was in a band with like Kelly Deal and like one of the guys from the Frogs. My head just exploded. They were called the Last Hard Men. Oh my God. They did like one album. Well, let's go back to Supergirl. What what was this on? VH1 show? Mm -hmm. What was this? It was the golden age of VH1. Another great subject for a podcast, although it wouldn't be 80s centric. But we'd have to talk about bands on the run for sure and Flickerstick. Oh my God. (laughs) Yes. Did I just, uh, you don't even know, John. I'm you don't you. even know. I have, I, the, I have the Flickerstick album. So uh, there you go. Uh, the best. El Dangeroso. Yes. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. I did, uh, just real quick aside, I did an article for Yahoo once that was 15 reality shows that want to have to come back. Right. Supergroup was number two. Okay. Bands on the Run was number one. With no doubt. I'm sure. I'm sure it was an incredibly expensive show to produce. I'm sure there are all sorts of technical reasons why they can't do it again. But oh my God, it was, it was so, so good. good. They, they captured Lightning in a Ball. I have every yeah. single episode on VHS oh, because they ran awesome. a marathon. I always thought they'd do a second season. Yeah. There is a guy from Soulcracker who works at the El Rey behind the board. Oh, and funny. every time I go to see a show at the El Rey, I have to resist myself and be like, Soulcracker, <laughs> you guys worked so much harder than Flickerstick and you still but lost. They, but they weren't as good. They weren't as good and they weren't as good TV. <laughs> yeah. But there were other shows, 80 shows on that list. But, that, but th- th- that show actually has a lot to do with what you're talking about how hard they had to work, how hard these metal bands mm-hmm. worked, how they hustled, how they got out there and got their name out. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of parallels there. But of course, on the list also is Rock of Love. Of course. And that is a show that I'm surprised. I mean, it ran for three seasons yep. and it begat like a million spinoffs like Charm School mm-hmm. and I Love Money and whatever. Right. And I Love New York or no, I Love New York, but all the I Love shows of love shows. Right. But we do need to talk about Poison. Yeah, of course. Just to get back on track. So Poison 
they sort of went that power ballad route with a lot of, I mean, obviously Every Rose has a song, very well written song. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Brett Michaels owns 100% of his publishing. Good for him. He ain't, he ain't poor. No right? dummy you there. You own 100% of the publishing on Every Rose has a song. Right? It's because back in the day when they started on Enigma and started in the scrappy beginnings, like people didn't want weren't interested in poison. Right. They couldn't get a publishing deal. Mm-hmm. So what started off as a hindrance, like we can't get a publishing deal. This mm. has obviously helped them very well. Good for him. They did go down that message. They had like these songs like stand and something to believe in. And they yeah. had all these kind of earnest songs. And then they, they kind of tried to sing credible and they stopped yeah. wearing the makeup and stopped being so cartoonish. And that's not the poison I love and no right. love, but the first poison album, look what the cat dragged in. And you know, that was a pun because if you've seen the album cover, mm-hmm. it completely, they almost looked like they're beautiful. Women. <laughs> yeah. Very airbrushed. Yes. Tons of more makeup on their faces yes. than the village people renaissance. Album cover. I love it. So I do believe the look what the cat dragged in was a pun, but there's a lot of really scrappy. I keep using the word scrappy. Well, it's what I'm trying to say is not polished the way people think of this band. I don't know. You you have the LA perspective on Poison when they came out. I have the Northeast Ohio, Cleveland, Midwest perspective. Okay. People probably hated them, right? No. They were a very, they were seen, at least in what I experienced, as a very credible, almost punk rock band. I'm shocked to hear this. I'm dead serious because they were on an indie label. True. They were wearing outlandish makeup and styling and... Uh, Talk Dirty to me was like, it was kind of like a little gritty. It's basically cheap tricks. She's tight. Yeah, for sure. But it wasn't seen. I had a bunch of friends who listened to Dead Kennedys, uh, Ministry. Uh, I think Twitch was popular then, that, that album. Like hard stuff. And they loved Poison. I'm genuinely gobsmacked by it, this. It's, it was, it, and I was the Did one. Did they still like him when Open Up and Say Ah came out? Or no. Was, no, it, it was just it the was, first record. first record. I understand it, that yeah. more. And then actually. Because that's when I, that's the only record I liked by him. Pre-MTV probably too. Because once the, you know, what was the second single after Talk Dirty to Me? Uh, I Want Action. I want action. With the schoolgirl references. Yeah, that's kind of where people jumped off from, you know, them being such a credible band. But at, I remember specifically how it was like, oh yeah, they were playing this freaking Poison record. And I'm like, who are these ladies? That's, I, I sort of see it now. I guess my perspective, despite the fact that I'm from LA or because I'm from LA, is mm-hmm. actually the opposite in the yeah. sense that they became, before they got signed, even though they didn't sign to a major label right. at first, they um, were the biggest local band. They were also Rands, though, weren't they at the time? Because they were the biggest local band, but they were after Hanoi Rocks. They were after well, they were after Motley Crue, Motley who Crue, were a little bit earlier. Right. But they were they were top draw in L.A. Yeah, were they? Yeah, wow. they, I never saw them back then. I was a little uh-huh. too young. But they were definitely a popular band. So I feel like a local backlash almost had maybe set in a little okay. bit. Guns and Roses were already around. They coexisted. In fact, fun mm-hmm. fact: when um, they were auditioning guitar players, Brett Michaels has told me this in an interview. When they were auditioning guitar players, Slash auditioned for Poison. Wow. And Brett Michaels actually wanted Slash, but he was outvoted. The other people in the band, Ricky and Bobby, wanted CC DeVille. Yeah. It's very interesting how 
history could have been different or how different right. a band Poison could have been if Slash had been in the band. There was a lot of cross-pollination then, like Tracy mm-hmm. Guns was in an early yeah. version of Guns N' Roses. That's why they were called Guns N' Roses. Uh, you know, so it's funny how like one band historically, Poison, is now seen as kind of a jokey, mm-hmm. cheesy band. And a band like Guns N' Roses are considered completely legit. And then there's other bands in the middle, like Faster Pussycat or L.A. Guns that sort of occupy. It's interesting your perspective that that's how they were perceived. I mean, yeah, I can even remember an image which, you know, is seared in my brain. A friend of mine named Mike who had Cure Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me right next to Look What the Cat Dragged In in his collection. And it was like. That's how I was. Yeah. It's like, okay, this is. Not that far off, looking at the lips of both album covers. <laughs> okay, yeah, they, yeah. Wore, they both yes. wore makeup. They both wore makeup. Uh, that's yeah. really, it's, really... It was really strange. That's really, really mm-hmm. interesting. I do, actually, one thing I was going to say about that is I do remember, I don't know if you've read uh, the new book that John Doe and Tom DeSavia put out, More Fun the New World, about like the second, about L.A. punk, but in the later 80s years. No. It's really good. You should read it. But Pleasant Gaiman, who mm-hmm. uh, she writes about it, and she actually says they used to play her punk band Screaming Sirens used to play with Poison. Yeah. And that she liked them because she thought they put on a good performance. Right. And there is a sort of fallacy or this revisionist history um, myth about L.A. that there was a division and people who liked punk bands mm-hmm. like X uh, or the Circle Dirks would or Black Flag would not like Poison or Guns N' Roses or Motley Crue, but it actually wasn't the case. They were coexisting on the strip of the same for sure. Time. But I think Motley Crue, at least in, for that first record, completely embody the cross section, the idea that punk and heavy metal coexisted. Right. The Too Fast for Love album. We yeah. gotta talk we gotta talk about Molly Crue, but we gotta talk about have you seen the movie The Dirt? I have. And I thought it was great. <laughs> Good. I'm glad to hear that. The thing is, some people like I'm like, did you expect this to be Citizen Kane? No, yeah. It's a Netflix movie right. about Molly Crew directed by the guy who did Jackass. Yeah, come on. I think it really captured the time. There was, and I, I understand what this is coming from because this goes back to what I was saying at the top of this podcast about how things have aged in this yeah. era, Me yeah. Too and all that, and how a lot of the things that were encouraged or celebrated during Molly Crew's heyday or um uh, everyone kind of thought is fun and consensual mm-hmm. and not a big deal, kind of haven't aged so well. There were people who were like, is 2019 the best year to be releasing the Dirt movie, which opens with a scene that I don't know if I can describe uh, if, on this family-friendly podcast. <laughs> but I will say that I was watching the movie at work in my open environment computer Oops. because, I mean, I was watching it for work. It was legit. <laughs> I needed to watch the Dirt for work. And someone like walked by right in that freeze frame oh water my. sports scene. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, they're going to call HR. I'm going to get fired. <sighs> it definitely captures a moment in time that was less PC. And there are aspects of that scene that I um, miss a little bit. Well, here's the thing. Am I projecting here or do yeah. I remember correctly? You've got videos like looks that kill, right? There is an element of tongue in cheek and humor in there. It's not I, being I done. Hope so. Yeah, I don't right? know. Honestly, I don't know. I I would think that Nikki Six, who seems like a very um, I know we I've met him. He's a very intelligent man. Yeah, he's the brains behind Molly Crew. He's the only brains of Molly Crew. Right. He's the reason Molly Crew have a career. They own their own publishing. That they're rich. He wrote all their songs, by the way. And right. if you've ever interviewed interviewed him or met him, he's very sharp. Mm-hmm. I would like to think that he sees humor in the things in that in the makeup in the costuming right. in the the drag the, look over the, the women in cages yeah exactly 
I don't know if Vince Neil or Tommy Lee go right. that deep. I don't know if they have irony <laughs> okay. or anything like that. I don't know. Um, that's the thing is I think sometimes irony doesn't translate to another. Right. I know. I mean, look what the cat did. And we were just talking about poison. I know that they had sense of humor to what oh, they did. Of course. Yeah. Unskinny bop. I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I just remember seeing the looks that kill come on and laughing hysterically. And I don't know if I was laughing for the right reasons because <laughs> it was like so ridiculous. There were definitely bands. I, I'm on the fence about whether. Um, Motley Crue were taking themselves seriously or not. I think they were by towards the end. Too young to fall in love. Too young to fall in love. The video takes place like in Chinatown and there's ninjas. And (laughs) I mean, mean, come on, it's great. Definitely bands that I think it was more obvious that they were humor. Twisted Sister always made good oh, videos. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, we're not going to take it. Right. I want to rock. That was beyond irony. That Rats was yeah. round and round with Milton Berle of in course. it. Of course. I discovered Milton Berle because mm-hmm. of Rat. And he was in Dragon that. Yep. Yep. Um, Cinderella. We haven't talked about Cinderella yet. Yeah. uh, And they had funny videos with the evil stepsisters in the polka dot dresses. Loved it. Uh, His voice got a little grating. I was just about to say the opposite. I think Tom Kiefer is one of the best singers of that era. Really? I think he's an amazing singer. You know, he almost like lost his voice. He had to have all these operations to get it back. Right. Because it's so gravelly. I mean, he's probably actually had some. That that wasn't it. It was, was it like nodes some, or something. Oh, I, yeah. I did the interview with him. I'm trying yeah. to remember exactly what it was. No, it was something because of a cold he got. Oh wow! He got vocal cord paralysis. Okay. There's a term for it. It's called parathesis. Mm, I don't know. That's easy for he you got, to say. <laughs> he got partial paralysis of one vocal cord, and they couldn't figure out what it was. Oh wow! Like what had caused it, mm. and they think it might have been from a flu, oh. and he had to have multiple surgeries. I think he's one of the best singers of that era. I'm surprised that because he had a real bluesy thing going yeah. on, kind of almost like a Bon Scott, Brian Johnson thing. That, going I was going to say is very ACDC is the first thing that came to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it Nobody's Fool? Was, nobody's yeah. Fool. I'm going to just start breaking the songs. Yeah. yeah nobody's mean, Fool was a jam. I, that's the kind of thing that, you know, if I'm being really honest, drove me nuts back in the day. And I hear it now at like karaoke or something. I'm like that song. Drove me nuts? Yeah. Oh yeah. And I hear it now and I'm like, that's a really well constructed friggin' song. Also, yeah. I think that even though they got look, like what I was saying earlier, they got lumped into the hair metal thing mm-hmm. because of the fact that they had the hair right. and the look. Um, when I listened to them, aside from looking at the wacky videos or knowing the fact that like Bon Jovi discovered them or whatever, mm-hmm. like I put them more in league with like uh, Aerosmith, 
Yeah. Or kind of those kind of bluesy bands that were coming around then, like the Black Crows or right. the London Choir Boys. Yes. Yeah, it's see, seven o'clock, time for the party. They're kind of like uh, going back to Enough's Enough. They they got unfairly tagged with a tag they probably shouldn't have gotten. Or I would actually say, if you remember this band, this is a very obscure reference, but the, do you remember the Dogs to Moore? No. God, they were so oh, good. Oh, you stumped me again. They, this is this is your blind spot. This I'm is, here to enlighten you. you Open know, your eyes. I was, I was, yeah. <laughs> the dogs more were amazing. They weren't. They were more like a London choir boy. You remember okay. the London yeah, choir boy? Yeah, of course. Boys? Yes. They were British. Yeah. Black Crozy. Yep. There was, you know, as I would think that as the kind of more cartoonish, mm-hmm. spandexy era of hair of hair metal was as that was sort of dying out. Yeah. And some of those bands were transitioning with mm-hmm. varying degrees of success to doing something that was a little more rootsy. Right. There were bands, the Black Crows being the most successful one mm-hmm. that kind of derived from the faces. Yeah. And a little bit of early Aerosmith. The Dogs No More were in that realm and Cinderella were in my opinion, particularly after the first record, the second record, Heartbreak Station, was absolutely that. Yeah. See, it's tough to make that transition from Zubas to suede pants. <laughs> <laughs> Some people can pull it off. I will say in 2000, I think 15, I went to Ricky Rockman's Cat House Festival mm-hmm. in Orange County. I went behind, I ventured all the way behind the orange curtain for this. It was such a fun day. Yeah. So, Cinder, so Tom Kiefer, Cinderella are broken up, but Tom Kiefer performed. So did Sebastian Bach. So did Jet Boy. Mm-hmm. Enough's Enough. Bang Tango. Um, uh, Ellie Guns de- mm. performed. Okay. Jet Boy performed. Faster Pussycat performed. This is the best day of my life. Right. And I will say that the one besides Sebastian Bach, who's just really good at riling the crowd, the one who got the best response and that I could overhear people saying like, this doesn't seem like an eighties act or mm-hmm. a nostalgia act. There's nothing about this that seemed kind of like cheesy and dated was when Tom Kiefer performed. Wow. Okay. He did a kind of Tesla unplugged yeah. MTV unplugged okay. thing. It was kind of a co- semi-acoustic. It was great. Well, wow. I had such respect for him. I think yeah. he's really good. So I think, yeah, it's interesting to see how, you know, some bands like, maybe sort of get held in respect and then there's mm-hmm. others that people just what do you think it is about i've sort of been talking probably more than you in this one because this is such a it's your heart but as someone who doesn't necessarily love this genre or isn't necessarily an expert in the genre what do you think it is about this genre that kind of always got the short end of the stick historically i think i think it's changed I think at the time and the time immediately after it was frowned upon, what is this crap? It's not, you know, it's, it's very flash in the pan. It's another fad. It's, I would liken it to a journey. Don't stop believing people of that time hated it. It was corporate rock. It was the worst uh, excesses of everything you could imagine. It was not credible at all. And here we are, 2017, 2019 and onward. It's seen as this immortal classic that you cannot have a karaoke night without someone warbling it. And people love friggin journey. Mm -hmm. These songs are very much like in my perspective. These songs are very much like that. They would drive me crazy back then. I was like, turn lunge for the cable box. (laughs) or the radio dial. You didn't watch Headbangers. Oh my God, no. Uh, I was waiting for 120 minutes. Fair enough. I watched both. But now I own the first four Def Leppard records. I own, you know, even though it's not hair metal. Well, Pyromania is one of, Photograph's probably the best song of all time. (laughs) I love that song. Don't get me started. We gotta have a, we gotta have a Mutt Lang episode. Oh, I would Uh, adore um, that. And then you've got, I've got, 
Poison's first record. Mm -hmm. I've got all these things that I grew up. uh, They were the enemy, capital E enemy, bold type. And now it's like through the filter of nostalgia or I don't know what it is. Just I think some people, when they become older, become more closed minded, but some people become more open minded because they're less concerned about the tribalism. Like, oh, if it's not punk or if it's not this, I don't like it. Or if my friends don't like it, it's not cool. Or like, I only like one thing. I've definitely become more open minded to music as I've gone older. Not to be grandpa about it, but (laughs) kids these days, they don't see genre. They don't see division. Which I think is a good thing. Fantastic thing. And they also don't see old catalog songs for lack of a better term versus new songs they'll have uh i want action in their playlist right next to lady gaga mm-hmm. for, for you and me it may not make any sense speaking of lady gaga she definitely has oh, she's, she's a metal, metal fan for sure i loved it when she performed with metallica for the grammys sure. but like her whole like born this way album referenced the, look at the album cover the album uh, cover looked like a motley, a motley crew cover it from really 1985 did. for god's sake but i think sometimes when something is polarizing which it, it definitely was then if not so much now um, that means that maybe you're onto something, right? Uh, for if sure. If you appeal to everyone, you're like... If you like, don't get a reaction, what's the point? Yeah. And the thing that I'll sum it up with that I think is so funny is, so I've, I used to, my boss used to be Dave DiMartino, who is still a very dear friend. He's like my second dad. He is the editor, or was, sorry, I should say the editor of Cream Magazine. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I kind of cut my chops being mentored by a former Cream editor is pretty, I'm pretty fortunate for yeah. that. But he was the editor of Cream in the early to mid 80s. Cream, of course, skewered all these bands. Oh, yeah. They sold, you know, they put they put those bands in there on the cover they to sell them, some. Exactly. But, but skewer them inside. Sure. And, you know, they were very, Cream was all about those snarky captions, which mm-hmm. my boss, Dave, often wrote. <laughs> so he hated Poison. Right. And unlike some of the people we're talking about now, this phenomenon that you hated them then, mm-hmm. but then later came around, mm-hmm. he never did. Still okay. hates them. So he was on the Poison Behind the Music and he was he was brought on for a, re- a specific reason to talk about the critics who did not like Poison back in the day and why. Right. And he's like, you could not have constructed a more dopey, stupid, terrible band if, if it had, you know, you'd been casting it or whatever. And speaking of casting, Rock of Ages, I think, had something to do with this genre becoming right. beloved. But anyway, oh, for sure. So he's like, you know, just craps all over Poison. He's his stance is still very anti-Poison, mm-hmm. even after all these years. Years later. They do a Brett Michaels behind the music, which is one of the most shown behind the musics on VH1 because of the fact that he was kind of the house right. guy forever. And and then when he had his health scares with his mm-hmm. brain stuff or whatever, uh, you know, they just were showing it all the time. He's definitely the hero of the golden era of VH1. Mm-hmm. So they had me on and I'm on it like the first poison record rules. It's a great party record. You can't fault it. And I'm like, he's an enigma wrapped in a bandana. I said so much good <laughs> stuff about Brett Michaels that. They use me in the cold open of his behind the music. Nice. And I'm just waiting for someone, someone listening, do this. Go on YouTube, find all the bits of me saying great stuff about Poison. Take all the bits from the behind the music on Poison of my ex-boss Dave DiMartino talking crap about Poison and put them together in some kind of like SNL Jane, you ignorant slut (laughs) debate. Someone do that for me because it's just so funny that I worked for him and we couldn't have been more on the opposite ends. And that it, maybe that was a generational thing, but I stand by what but I said. It, on. it encapsulates the genre, though. Mm-hmm. It does. There it's you go. Polarizing. Well, I want to thank you for being open minded. Of course. Have I are you have I um, changed your mind at all about uh, my mind was already shifting before we had this podcast. Just, yeah, just, along. just with more just going back and looking back and going, look, look listen to the songs. 
you know, take away all the trappings. I love a hook. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a three and a half minute power pop guy. There you go. I'm going to give you some homework of records that I don't. Th- I mean, obviously, I'm not going to say go listen to Appetite for Destruction. I'm pretty sure you've heard that. I've heard that one. Yes. Uh, I'm going to give you three albums to okay. listen to. First, Faster Pussycat record. I I, I do like it. First, I rem- Ellie Guns record. Okay. I, I don't know which Hanoi Rocks one. I'm going li- to say Oriental Beat. From what you told me, I think I'll listen to them all. You should listen to them all. They were all really good. Um, and I think that's actually, if I was going to guess one that you would like the most, I would say it was that one. Awesome. And listen, listen to In the Dynamite Jet Saloon by Dogs Demore, which is hair metal adjacent. Okay. But since you don't know that one, you actually we should really listen. Awesome. All right. So cool. You have things to do now? I have homework. I was Lindsay Parker. You were? John Hughes. And we had a hair raising chat about hair metal. We learned stuff. It was a moment of kumbaya. We grew. Coming, coming we, together on yeah. the Sunset Trip. We grew. We grew each other's hair. I love it. All right. If you enjoyed this podcast and if you have your own thoughts about your favorite heavy metal songs and albums, please go to our Facebook or Instagram at Totally80s or you can go to wearetotally80s.com and you can get other news, stories about our favorite decade. This was Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Totally80s. And please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next episode, catch you on the flip side. 